Good morning, afternoon or evening everybody, and welcome to Pangolin, the conservation podcast. The show dedicated to exploring and amplifying the world's underappreciated conservation stories. The stories that inspire me, and I hope, will inspire you too. I'm your host, Jack Baker, and today I am joined by the brilliant Deborah Tabart to discuss perhaps Australia's most famous animal, the koala. We chat about how the koala has become politicised, the numerous threats that it faces, and how the Australian Koala Foundation is fighting to protect this incredible species. This includes conversations about their work on the Koala Manifesto, Kiss Points, and the Koala Protection Act. We also discuss some other Australian icons, such as flying foxes, snakes, whale sharks, Steve Irwin, and the Great Barrier Reef. And we chat about the importance of connecting with and respecting Mother Nature. As you can tell, we have a lot to talk about today. Um, So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to the show. I am now joined by Deborah Tabart, the chair of the Australian Koala Foundation and someone who's dedicated her life to the protection of the koala and its habitat. And she's here to tell us all about that incredible, incredible work. So thank you so much for joining me today, Deborah. Well, I'm really happy to be here, Jack. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's it's a great pleasure. I'm so glad we managed to organize this, even with the massive time difference between us. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's, it's fantastic uh, that you made the time to Thank be you. here. And I wonder, just to get us started, I kind of give you a, a very brief introduction there. But for the listeners who maybe are, are less familiar with you or your work, could you tell them a little bit about your yourself? Who are you and, and a little bit yeah, about, about what you do? Well, I joined the Australian Koala Foundation in 1988, so that's 33, 34 years ago. And honestly, if anyone had told me that I was going to be on a podcast in Scotland, uh, you know, and all those years later, I wouldn't have believed them. And now, of course, I'm the chair of the Australian Koala Foundation, and I think probably I'm at the most important time in my whole career because I think it's taken me at least 30 years to really understand the complexities of why we're having trouble saving the koalas. And I think it's really important that any of us, especially elders in the community, we've got to have solutions for your generation because your generation are worried about the future and so you should be. Um, But it's taken me this long to feel confident about the simplicity of what it takes to save the koalas. So, you know, I go to work every day like everyone else and some days are better than others, but... You know, and it's very hot here today. It's 33 degrees Celsius and we and the humidity is like 90% because we've had 1,000 mils of rain right up and down the east coast of the of Australia with this river system, weather system that just stayed. It just dumped thousands of, of mils, inches on our landscape. And, you know, I've seen it before, but to have that a much main, you know, you just know something's happening. And so... When with some of my younger staff, I sort of say, look, this happened in 2011 and it happened in 1894 and things. So, but it's coming closer and closer. So I love, I love going to work every day. Not, 
only because I get to see baby koalas and, and I enjoy that, but just to sort of think through the issues. And, you know, you need politics, you need science, you need community understanding, you need social media. So it makes me feel like I'm still, um, I've still got meaning to my life and, and I'm hoping to become more and more meaningful as I get older. Mm-hmm. That's that's fantastic. And I think after all that time of kind of working with the same kind of organisation for the same, it could be so easy to, I suppose, kind of feel this kind of wear of, oh, like it's been a while, like we're fighting the same fight, but it's so good to hear that you're still inspired to kind of keep going and kind of pushing for not just kind of yourself, for the people that are coming up after you, for all of this sort of stuff. It's really interesting to hear. Um, and- yeah, well... I think that's one of the, I actually did write a book, uh, which I launched this time last year. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did articulate in there was that about 20 years ago, I felt like, why am I still here? And mm-hmm. do I want to be still here? And I had to really do a lot of personal reflection. But the things that I have come to terms with is that sometimes things are a life's work. And, mm-hmm. and, and President Obama said that you can only see yourself on the arc of change. And so I can see that I'm just on the arc of this and people who will come after me will then help to recover the species because even if you get protection by better laws, which is what I want, Mm -hmm. then you're going to have to start repairing this planet. And this planet is so damaged that we're going to have to come up with incredible innovation. But I'm also, one of the great things about seeing Mother Nature in her absolute ferocity in the last few days is... um, she will fix things, you know, like as soon as the sun comes out, you can see all the trees going boof, you know, it's everything's freshened up and there's insects everywhere. I went out on my back veranda where I had some pot plants and there was all these butterflies that have obviously laid their caterpillars and they'd eaten everything. So there's these little fat butterfly caterpillars. So I was picking them all off and putting them on trees so that they could go into their chrysalis. That's the thrilling part because you see you know nature is just amazing and i i'm lucky enough because i i've got a lot of birds here a lot of reptiles used to be koala habitat but i i live in nature every day and it just astounds me how beautiful it is mm-hmm. and yeah it's that ability to bounce back it always inspires me and inspires so many of my guests have talked about when they um especially people who work in madagascar we had a lot of episodes um a little a little while about go about Madagascar and how when you leave these spaces the, the things they can start to regenerate and they can start to kind of kind of bring themselves back and they can just leaving yeah. them for a little while and coming back and seeing and even after the worst yeah. of storms or the worst human impacts if you can nature has this incredible power to to heal itself and that's it's absolutely fantastic to see and it's yeah it's it's so good because it's such a hopeful it's it provides so much hope and it I is. think especially yeah yeah I, I still have hope and, and mm-hmm. I believe that um, as soon as we take the pressure off Mother Nature, she will, I think she's cross, you know. I think that mm-hmm. she's, um, you know, that Tongan thing, when you actually look at that explosion that came out of the, you know, like when you look at that, there's something so primal about that, isn't it? And you just realise, mm-hmm. like Gaia, you know, if, if the earth is a living form, it's almost like she's gone, and this is what I can really do, you know. And I think, um, and that's sort of exciting in a way, as long as you're not in the way of it all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of our political leaders. They think power is in the hands of weaponry or 
building roads and all that sort of stuff, I think your generation is going to absolutely be in a different mindset. And I love that about hanging around your generation. You know, even though that my some of my closer kids think I'm a bit of an old, you know, under a rock sort of thing, but I try and stay um, relevant. And also, to it's it's hard to sort of as an elder to say, well, look, this is how it always was when we were young. You've got to leave a lot of that behind and embrace where you're coming. So I've got a couple of staff members who are vegan and initially it used to just annoy me. You know, I used to think, oh, God, here we go. I've got to, especially when we've got a research camp. But, you know, now I've started cooking vegan because you realise this is the future. And so us elders have got to change and we've got to inspire you young ones to to look at the past and not make the same mistakes we did. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I think it's it's so interesting, and it's I think a a universal feeling of kind of um, no matter where in the world you because I know my parents personally. My sister is vegan. I um, I eat as much vegetarian vegan food as I can, and yeah. um, and it's kind of when when it first started, it was kind of this uh, yeah this kind of shock of like oh now I'm gonna have to cook two meals and now I'm gonna have to do this. I'm gonna have to. Yeah. But over time, it kind of is nice to see people like you and like my parents who are kind of embracing and inspiring through leadership it's it's really interesting um yeah it is yeah Yeah, no and so so we've all got to be in this together and we've all got to compromise and change yeah Mm -hmm. and the koala's caught up in that and and so that's why i love having you know the the people calling me the koala woman and that came because (laughs) it doesn't matter where you go someone goes oh you're that oh you're that koala woman aren't you you know it's sort of so it sticks um I believe it's a great species for change because no one wants to, it doesn't trample crops or villages, doesn't eat you. It just sits there making millions of dollars worth of tourism. Um, and it's just one of the sweetest, gentlest creatures. Actually, wild koalas aren't that. They can be quite ferocious if you try and catch them. And um, But, yeah, it's a great ability to sort of try and bring two sides together because I think... There is a great deal of divide and conquer by industry and governments to put the environment way out there, but the koala brings it right back in, you know. So koalas are very anxious about, um, you know, whether koalas can vote. And, and over the coming weeks, we're going into an election probably in May, and I looked at some of our koala army stuff, and I would really encourage some of your listeners to join the koala army because we've got these terrific characters, you know, little animated um, um, animated uh, koalas and, and a lot of other species that are talking. And I was giggling this morning because some of them are so funny. They really are so funny. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, yes, oh, it, sorry, yeah. well, I, I was going to say I'll provide links to all of those in the description for the episode. That sounds, yeah, so something that people yeah, should yeah. definitely go and look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, we, it, like it's – we're all so tired of hearing habitat damage and whatever, but mm-hmm. I think one of the things that worries me at the moment is the whole concept of democracy. And in our country, mm-hmm. we have compulsory voting. And and in the United States, people used to challenge me and say, that is against your civil liberties to have to be forced to vote. And when I was a younger woman, if you didn't vote, you were fined. Mm-hmm. And the Conservatives now are saying, well, look, all those young ones who don't sign up, it doesn't matter because they'll vote green or um, left wing or whatever. But 
I believe that Australians have what we've always taught our children. This is not who to vote for, but this is why your votes are important. So we've got this wonderful pigeon called Bill who's going to be dressing up in a toga um, and he's going to give lessons in democracy and how important um, how important it is to go to those election and put your ballot in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if don't know if you guys know the word dill, but dill in Australia is like a dill pickle. You know, you're a bit of a dill. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just saying this election, don't vote for a dill. Do, do not vote for someone who hasn't got your values, who hasn't got your desires, because there's a lot of dills in politicians, in politics at the moment. And, um, and that's a nice word for them because a lot of them are a lot worse than that. They're, they're dangerous and they're not interested in our, in our planet and, and also your young future. So don't vote for a deal and keep an eye out and bill on his democracy lessons because it will start coming out in the next week or so. That's fantastic. And I think it's kind of something, that kind of introduction, kind of little first chat that we've had has touched on so many ideas that I think we're going to bring up throughout the next kind of little while during our conversation. And it's something that, yes, I'll provide all of the resources and kind of all of the things that you've just mentioned in the description for the episode. So while we're going through, if you want to be, and listeners, if you want to be looking at the website, um, you can be kind of having a a kind of look around and see all the different resources while we're having our chat. Um, Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, just go, the Koala Army is the one that makes me giggle the most. And I was giggling a lot this morning because it's just funny. And um, (laughs) yeah, so yes, savethekoala.com and Koala Army, join up. Perfect, yes it's and yes make sure and go and do that um i what i want to ask though is uh, before we get into kind of the the more of the kind of deeper conversations and things about kind of the politics and i i wondered yeah. for the listeners maybe who are we kind of have introduced you and we've kind of touched briefly on the australian koala foundation all some of the different projects but is there any kind of what would how would you introduce the australian koala foundation to the listeners as well how would you kind of the charity that, that you're working with how would you kind of yeah what would you like them to know? Well, um, I think the other thing, if you go to the website, there's two things. Mm-hmm. One is the book, The Koala Manifesto. And, yeah. you know, when I was designing the uh, the front cover, I said I wanted this book to, to sort of look like a little red book with a manifesto. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there's a lot of little clenched koala fists in there. And, um, and we superimposed a koala on a branch over Che Guevara and his gun because I just feel that the koala itself does need a manifesto. So if you go to the website you and look the koala manifesto, all those images are there, mm-hmm. and it talks about um, some of the bigger picture issues because you're never going to solve a koala problem or a cheetah problem or an elephant problem unless you look at the bigger picture. So I can annoy people in all my talks, like especially older people, I go, look, I'm going to annoy you because I'm going to take you to the big picture and everyone wants to stay in their little box, don't we? We all want to stay in our silo. The other thing is, um, and there there will be a job in the next couple of months called the Koala Kiss Coordinator. Mm -hmm. What a job title. And and what we're trying to do is, so the whole east coast of Australia is 1.5 million square kilometres and what we want to do is is link all the major habitats mm-hmm. so that if you're a koala or a human, that you could actually walk all the way through that bush. And um, 
Yeah, and I am so excited about this. And so in in the next couple of months, we're going to have a job called the Koala Kiss Coordinator. And that person will be, I think, employed for the next 20 years because one of the things they need to do is to work out how to link all those major habitats from, say, Cairns to Melbourne, which is about 5,000 kilometres. And so what we're hoping to do is to work out, like in scientific um, algorithm that says, if there is a big habitat of, say, two or 3,000 hectares, how do you link it to the next one, which might be 1,000 hectares? And we're hoping that there'll be a tourism aspect to that as well. So like a koala camino, where we will have people walking through people's landscapes. And I'm convinced, see, 80% of Australia's koalas live on private land. So I see this as is one of the loveliest things that we've ever come up with because I think the people are ready to regenerate lands. Even farmers are saying, I know I've got to contribute by planting trees, no more land clearing. And if they can have gorgeous young tourists coming through walking um, from places like Noosa um, and Google Noosa, everyone, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. It's, you know, it's got the rainforest and then there's the ocean where the whales are and everything so once COVID's over and we've got our tourism back I think we will have our own tourist business where people can come in and see koalas in the wild maybe plant trees do all sorts of stuff so the koala kiss coordinator's job if I was young again I would want that job because you'd be having to speak to the local landholders and and encouraging them to do the right thing so and it's all described on our website. And, um, yeah, I feel so much hope about that because, again, with all this rain at the moment, all our aquifers mm-hmm. are filled. So if you plant trees at this time, they're going to flourish. Some of the trees in my paddocks have doubled in size in the last month just because they've got more water in the ground. Mm-hmm. That's pretty insane. exciting. Yeah, that's insane, and it is. It's it's the the pitch that you've just given makes me want to move to Australia. I'm like, could I? I could just if I just abandon my entire life in Scotland and move across. I'm sure that would be fine to go and see the rainforest. Well, you can come world. for a little while. And, and in fact, yeah, because we're thinking we'll have the um, the uh, the Kiss Hub, you know, the Koala Hub at Noosa, so that mm-hmm. students will come in for say, you know, for their summer, I mean, especially the Americans come in for three months and volunteer and and help because you imagine the computer power we're going to need to to do all that and in fact next week we've got a meeting with all the scientists to work out those algorithms and they're not going to be perfect it's going to take a lot but mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that and I think the, one of the things I feel is that sometimes you can think the politicians politicians are trying to stop you mm-hmm. but with the kiss I feel like they can't. They can't stop you. You can just do it. Mm-hmm. And the public are contacting us. And, yeah, so I, I think in five years' time we will have a koala camino, a walk, not the whole way, but we'll have large sections um, where tourists will be able to walk, see wild koalas and contribute to the recovery of the species. Very exciting. That is exciting. And it's. I think it's exciting because it's It's. It's such a an icon. The species is such an icon of Australia and I think for tourism especially it, it's kind of this yeah. um kind of yeah 
people when they think whenever anyone says oh i'm going to australia to for a holiday or to do all these things i think one of the first questions they're probably ever asked is oh are you going to go and see a koala are you going to hold it so having this kind of seeing them in a natural space and seeing them in this kind of yeah, forming yeah. a connection with them in a space that's kind of theirs is a really powerful and, oh, and yeah. great idea. And, and also, I, I never get sick of that. You know, <laughs> I, I was I was um, I was in the bush a couple of weeks ago, and I went to one of the koala hospitals. But there's a koala that just hangs around in the wild, you know, sort of near mm-hmm. there. And I'm pretty good at spotting koalas, I might add. And um, <laughs> you know, it's just thrilling. It's just thrilling to see them just sitting up there. They're the strangest thing when you see them sitting in these little tiny branches, and so comical. And in fact, if you really want to entertain yourself on our website, we have an adoption program, and um, and you don't even have to join if you don't want to. But there's a koala quiz where you can sort of, you know link your personality to the koalas that are there and there's got little stories about them and I don't think Sebastian's on there anymore but there used to be this koala called Sebastian and he used to be sort of like hello you know like he was like the man of the man of the moment like he should be in a penthouse magazine um and then you've got the dear little girls you know and then you've got the little babies and I was at I did a film in fact on my Twitter um, which is just Deborah Tabart, you'll see that I was with some koalas on the TV show just recently. And one of the little tiny koalas was just like a little doll, you know, and even you think it doesn't even look real. So they're they're pretty cute. They And, and they melt the heart of even the hardest politician. So it's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can imagine. It's hard to kind of, uh, yeah, resist. Look, there's we were watching a, as a family for in the last few weeks, we've gotten very into watching some of the the Irwin documentaries, and we were all in yeah. tears just watching baby koalas the other day. Just like, oh, they're so like I, it's fa- like they're just fantastic, and I can imagine I can see exactly why that would never ever get old. Um, and yes, it never I, gets old. No, no, it doesn't. And also, Steve <laughs> Steve Irwin, I knew when I got my job, he was just you know the incredible person. So when, mm-hmm. when I first met Steve Irwin, he was just an absolute exact, he never changed, never, ever changed, didn't matter what. But he used to have a little tiny zoo and I was there with some friends from Washington and so he was just becoming famous and there was just people queued up and queued up. So he was like, hi, oh, Debs, you know, and whatever, hi, Steve. But he was standing there with a chainsaw and he just sort of cut a door to make it bigger for people to go in. It was like... <laughs> It was so funny. And now, of course, the zoo is very big and and it's thrilling to see, you know, Bindi with the baby and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he was a great loss, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I feel like He's the hilarious. most... hilarious. Yeah, the most Steve Irwin story I think I've ever heard. And no, just knowing him from watching documentaries and TV shows, him cutting a door open with a chainsaw just to make it bigger, like that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was hilarious. And he... Yeah, it was just funny, and that enthusiasm was always there. And his 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 um, zoo has a beautiful koala hospital that mm-hmm. looks after sick and injured animals. They do a tremendous job. Yeah, mm-hmm. and actually, that kind of um, there's so many ways I feel like I could take the the conversation from there because there's so many questions that have arisen in my mind from the last the last little while of us chatting. And I guess we kind of have talked about hope and connecting all of these things and your drive to do things. But I wondered for and. I, I think something that is kind of important to justify for the listeners is that koalas, we've talked about them, we love them, lots of people love them. They're really interesting kind of creatures. 
um, loved creatures, but they're still threatened and kind of love itself does not save these animals necessarily. That's right. Um, and so I wondered if we could talk a little bit, or you could, you could talk, you're the expert, you could talk a little bit um, about perhaps what some of the threats are to koalas and why why is this such a why are they facing yeah. these issues like what are the kind of the big issues that they're facing yeah well um look it became pretty obvious to me straight away mm-hmm. that unless you protect their trees they're not going to mm-hmm. survive so we had a creative director give us you know the no tree no me slogan which we still have and, and just apply so but the magnitude of the amount of habitat so it's 20% of the continent of Australia. So it is massive amount of area. And so no government or industry wants to go, you know what, we're going to put laws over that whole landscape. It just scares them because they think, we won't be able to do this, we won't be able to do that. Um, and, and it took me about five years in the job and I suddenly thought, we've got to have laws that says you can't do that unless you do it properly. If you still want koalas, you're going to have to have those linked habitats. Um, so it's it's the same as us. If you lose your home, your home, your trees cut down, you either starve to death, a dog will eat you, or you'll be hit by a car, or even if you know another habitat is cut down and that's where your mate is, and you've got to come together to mate, then you'll get killed going to and from. You know, a lot of young males get killed because they get dispersed out of their colonies and they're going for looking for love and off they go and then they're killed. And the numbers are staggering. In one part of where I live, when I got my job, I have seen 50,000 koalas die that went into hospital. And, you know, we just cannot afford to lose that gene pool. And it was because the developers just flatten everything. They cut it all down, build the houses and then call it koala beach or you know koala road or whatever i believe that if i ran a mining company or a development company that you could say i'm going to go about my business and incorporate the koalas in there so the the plight of the koala really is like everything on this planet 85 percent of the world's forests are gone and in the recent glasgow talks third uh, 100 countries signed up to a pledge that they would stop native logging by 2030. Now, in one would presume that that means the koala forests, and I see nothing in place that says this is how we're going to do it. So that's why I want a Koala Protection Act. I want legislation that says these trees cannot be touched and you, the developer or the industry, have to absolutely go about your business with those trees and the animal as the first priority and then run your business. And I just truly believe that's possible. I really do. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, and it's, I, I think it's something that everybody should be looking It's all, it, it's quite, it's, yeah, being in Scotland watching those talks, it was simultaneously at moments inspiring to see the public yep. out on the street protesting and all of these kind of things happening, but yep. also quite frustrating because, yes, these promises are made, but then, Sometimes they are, they're just kind of these hollow kind of, yeah, I, we're yeah. going to do this, we're going to do that. And then there's not really this tangible yeah. follow-up. Um, well, I, um, I went to Copenhagen in 2009 and, and I was inspired. And then as the days were on, I could see that, you know, everyone 
is is thrilled and excited and everything, but it didn't go anywhere. And it was very sad to me. And of course, I couldn't go because of COVID. But yeah, we we have to do more than pledge. And and again, I see the koala as a great flagship for me to keep pushing our country to meet those requirements. And again, if you'll go on our website, I've actually got these lovely graphics that says not 2030, you have to do this now, now. Mm-hmm. And and see where I live when I moved here, um, I've been in my home now for over 30 years and my children planted little trees that were four inches high and now they're 100 feet high. And, you know, it's thrilling to show, to see what you can do. But if you keep knocking it down and things get hotter and we get fires and all that sort of stuff, um, it's going to be much, much harder. But I really want you to know that I have so much faith in nature that mm-hmm. as soon as we stop being cruel to it, it will rebound in spades and uh, and laws are going to have to make sure that that happens, international laws, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think something you touched briefly on, I think I, I'm, this is leading perfectly onto a question that I want to ask about the Koala Protection Act and if you yeah. could tell us a little bit about that. But something you touched on briefly there, I think that's really important to highlight for the listeners is, yes, we're talking about the koala, which is perhaps the kind of the the flagship kind of popular charismatic species that uh, we're kind of discussing today. But yes, the it's a keystone species in that by protecting the koala and protecting the koala's habitat, Australia is home to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of species that are unique and special and bizarre, some of them, but beautiful and fantastic. And so by protecting animals like the koala, um, you aren't just helping koalas, you're helping protect the habitat for so much more um, than just that one species. I, I don't know, did you have anything to, to add to, to that, Deborah? Oh, well, I, I mean, that's why I've stayed. Because mm-hmm. if I ran the Australian Snake Foundation, no one would be interested. And <laughs> um, and and the thing is, on our one of our research stations, we have the biggest snake bite area in the world. You know, there's taipans, blacks, red belly blacks, the whole thing. And in mm-hmm. fact, we've got this fantastic T-shirt on our website called "The Buddha of the Bush," where we um, incorporated at least 18 other magnificent species into um, this gorgeous T-shirt designed by a wonderful young Australian artist. And it's one of our best sellers because it just shows, you know, bats, snakes, possums, wombat, the whole thing. I think we've got 18 different species in the T-shirt. And, oh, I believe that strongly. And I was in, um, in New South Wales two weeks ago at a conference and we were there at a cocktail party and just east of us was a flying fox camp of probably half a million flying foxes which took off and the whole sky went dark with these exquisite, exquisite mammals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it was so funny because I kept on saying to the politicians who were at the function, where do you think those, those bats are roosting? And he was like, I have no idea. Don't like bats, you know, just don't like them. Um, and so those habitats are all koala habitat and they are also the, one of the most important pollinators for forests. So the koalas can often speak out for their less um, sexy animals. But if, if you get to know a flying fox, they are the sweetest things. I mean, they've got their little wings and they carry their babies and the babies actually have little dummies, you know, if they've, if they've lost their mums. 
oh, God, I've had the best time in my life, you know, being in the bush and seeing all these incredible animals. And it, it drives me every day. I can't stand it. And I know this is going to sound shockingly personal, but at my house I've got these whip birds and the whip birds, the male and the female go whip, woo, like that. And so they obviously learn how to do that. And, it's, and it sounds like a whip cracking. And you, I haven't had them at this garden for a long time. But anyway, they had four babies. And I heard the parents teaching the babies how to do the two whips. And you could hear these little babies going, whoop, 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 you know, like practicing. And I sat outside and I was like, what in the heck is that? And you just, you could almost see a cartoon, can't you, of the parents going, now everyone together, whip, woo, you know. So Google a whip bird because it is the most exquisite sound when you're in the bush. And you just think, imagine losing that. Imagine losing it. I can't imagine that. And that's what drives me every day, every single day. Um, and I'm lucky enough to live in the bush and I've got beautiful species. Yeah, I was going to say that's it's it's something that uh, amazes me that some people don't like. I I I think just exposing people to this and telling them these stories make people fall even more in love with nature. And I think it's something that's it's so powerful. Just having these little moments of personal connection with them are are so fantastic. And it, yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah. We're yeah, and and also. I was lucky enough to swim with the whale sharks off the western coast of Australia in Ningaloo. And, you know, when you are in the ocean with something that is 30 or 10 metres long mm -hmm. and you're just there, you, you absolutely realise you know, how insignificant we are as humans. And so the more you get out in nature, the healthier you will be and we can't afford to lose that for our souls either. We just can't. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 yeah, and I think it's especially over the last few years with the the situations that humans have occur had to to go through in in certain places worse than others. But it's like this something that is always or can always be there is is going outdoors and forming nature. And I think it's something that me I personally and a lot of people I know have found connection with. So it's it's yeah, it's it's such a relaxing therapeutic. A wonderful thing yeah. for not just to not just to help these species for their own sake but for your own for any for a personal kind of reason they are kind of yeah they they, they feed the soul and they just make you feel good and uh, yes yeah, just empowered um yes and, it does it does yeah mm -hmm. and yeah i think something i, I kind of want to loop back to now is we kind of have talked about the the kind of kiss points and some of the other actions that you're um your the Australian Koala Foundation is kind of working to protect these habitats and, and working on but I think kind of the main thing that you you've mentioned previously is this Koala Protection Act and it's something that you really want to see kind of implemented and I wondered yep. um could you explain a little bit about it to to the, uh, the listeners because I think uh, uh, quite recently all over the news was oh the Australian government has moved them from um vulnerable to endangered and they're going to invest this money and it's I, I know personally, I know for you personally, that that isn't just enough, this kind of this talk and this this money that you need, you want this act kind of put in place to, yep. to properly protect them. And I wondered, could you explain, yeah, just a little bit about what yep. it is and, and yeah, why you, you think well, it's the key? Um, I, yeah. I, I think early, very early in my job, mm -hmm. I realised that all laws that we have in our country didn't work. 
and and there was something like 22 different laws that sort of kicked in if something was happening, logging or, you know, housing and developments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so really you can see that I've been talking about that from about 1995 because um, I just realised the koala is so important, especially for all the other forests, all the forests of the East Coast um, mm-hmm. and the other species it will protect. But I never thought it would be as hard to actually get that document written, find the lawyers who didn't think I was crackers, and initially they did. They were like, what are you talking about? We've got existing laws. And even some of my environmental colleagues were like, you know, Deborah, why should you single out the koalas? Well, I'm saying because the koalas are so beautiful, they single themselves out. You know, they're one of the greatest icons of the world. So, um, and if you can't save a koala, you can't save anything. So the Koala Protection Act basically says if you have got koala habitat on your land, your application to do anything on that land is automatically no until you can prove your activity is benign. Now, all laws currently says, yep, no worries, you can do whatever you like and then the community have to fight you to stop you. And you think about the big fights in in the world where people are going, don't cut down the Amazon. It's because most of the laws have been written to really enable industry to destroy nature. And and again, in my Koala Manifesto, I argue, I do not believe that logging is necessarily sustainable. It's only, only making money because you're still being able to access trees that are centuries old and they're huge and they're worth a lot of money. But once they're gone, that industry will be, A, unsustainable, we will not have the lungs of the planet, and and so we've got to stop doing that. And now I'm even starting, and I've even said that I, I think that we shouldn't even be cutting any trees down, no more building houses with wood. We're going to have to maybe use all our rubbish and create plastic wood to build our homes or, or other mm-hmm. ways, straw bale, things that are much more sustainable. So the developers just can't stand it when I say these things. So the Koala Protection Act is actually very simple. It just says, no tree, no me. You cannot cut this tree down. The other thing about the Act is when when the, the other piece of legislation where it's now endangered, a developer can apply for a thing called a permit to take, which basically means if you cut down trees and things are killed, then you have... Um, you are exempt from prosecution because you killed it. The Koala Protection Act will never give a a permit to take because I just see it as a licence to kill. And so while ever you've got that, and and, and often those animals die unseen. You know, they, they might cut the tree down. They have these things called spotters who go in and say, well, look, we saw a koala, so we'll wait. We won't log until tomorrow morning. And so the koala's moved on, but they're homeless. So the Koala Protection Act is very simple, very firm, and it scares industry to death. And so it is, and so as today, as I said, when I signed off on um, the Koala Army's messages over the next couple of weeks, we will be talking about how simple it should be that this Koala Protection Act should kick in, preserve the trees, Mm -hmm. and then then I'm hoping that that's going to work. Yeah, I, I I think it's amazing because it's 
it, it's so it is it's it's such a simple it, when it, you've summarized it so perfectly there because it is it's it's not asking a huge amount it's just asking no. to be more kind of ethical and more thoughtful in action and it's yeah it's fantastic and it's it does make me want it, it makes me wonder a lot because something that I'm quite interested in just um given my background in kind of studying politics international relations and kind of this idea that business can kind of put their foot kind of have this kind of big kind of I, I guess they're the ones getting in your way almost in kind of lobbying politicians probably to say no we definitely don't want this we need to have this kind of um we need to have the freedoms that we have now even though realistically no you don't you can act in a, a more and I think what makes it really interesting to me personally is this kind of conflict between yes the koala has value in itself as a, a living thing it deserves to have the space that it's always had but in terms of a politician's mindset, the koala also probably brings in a huge amount of money in terms of tourism. And they're such an extremely powerful cultural icon that you think they wouldn't want to lose it. So there's so many conflicting forces pulling in in different directions about kind of the value of different things and, and what should take priority and who should. take. Like, I, I just I've, I find it such an, an interesting situation and a complex situation. I don't know how you go about trying to 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 work it out and convince people. How how do you go about trying to work out these problems? Well, and lobby people uh, look, and... you, you've you've articulated it exactly. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I think at the moment, you know, when you're tweeting, I say things like, isn't it thrilling that our government has just announced that the reef is endangered and the koala is endangered and those two things bring billions of dollars. Between the two of them, probably 60,000 jobs and probably $10 billion to Australian shores. But somehow or other we haven't said these things have to be protected because the vested interest... So the reef, for instance, is under threat from from farming where lots of fertile um, fertilisers and things are being washed into the into the reef and then, of course, the, the warming of the waters. Um, but, again, all those things could stop immediately if we just said we are going to put a priority on those things and then the, the sustainable industries like solar and wind power and things could start kicking in. Subsidies are still there. Um, oh, industry bleats and... Some of your listeners might know about a person called Dr. Polly Higgins who has um, written a book on ecocide and sadly she died a few years ago. But she is basically saying that crimes against the environment should be treated like crimes against genocide. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I now want crimes against creatures great and small so that you would have international laws that said elephants have a right orangutans have a right, koalas have a right, so that so that we see these species as global citizens of the environment. And, again, I want to, I want to say that for the rest of my life because you could have a political force that comes into one country and says, I'm going to cut this forest down and no one can stop me. If we have to fight climate change and global warming as a globe, then we're going to have to have global laws. So... The Koala Protection Act to me is the first step towards some of those bigger picture things and it should be that simple and I think the koala will be one of the first species that could get those laws up because it doesn't hurt anyone. If you're a tiger, you know, people want, you know, you don't want to be eaten by one but koalas could be the flagship for all those species and I hope I've explained that well but keep, keep 
keep an eye on our website because I'll be saying a lot more of that over the coming years. Mm-hmm. No, I think you articulated it perfectly because yes, the it's it is all it's very complex when you have things like elephants or tigers, which there is that human wildlife conflict. But when yeah. when it's a koala. Unless unless somebody really likes to grow kind of eucalyptus and they really have their prized eucalyptus bush in their back garden that they don't want anything touching, there's really no threat to you personally if a koala comes along. It's uh, it's yeah it's no exactly and when yeah and also you know it, it, well it, when when I was a child and even in the last you know ten or fifteen years you can still go to people's houses and there's koalas in the backyard. It's just the way it was and kangaroos and stuff. You know, it's. What makes me sad is that we've urbanised so badly in in uh, following an American model where you just have big roads and big houses and all that sort of stuff. This could have been done so differently. And um, we do have uh, a bit of a role model for a sustainable housing estate called Koala Beach, and that's on our website as well, where mm-hmm. I worked with a developer to build 500 houses but the, the people were put into 40 hectares and the koalas got 360 hectares and there was 26 other endangered species there. Well, you know, some of the developers just thought he was crazy to work with us. Um, but I, I see that as the role model for all developments. This is still possible. You, we've still got enough bush and urbanisation and, and also we've got to sort of think differently of how we use our land. Australia's always had this view that we're a land of plenty. Now we've got to say we've got to share this with the environment because the fires and the floods are a direct result of us interfering with ecological systems. And again, that's in my book, if anyone wants to read it on the website. It's yeah, it's it is, and it, yeah, it, that's the other thing that I feel like I didn't even take into my calculation when I was to try to explain the kind of the different poles in different directions the the floods the fires everything everything working against the koala and all of the other species yeah. which live in those habitats is intensifying um and it's just yeah it's it just baffles well it doesn't baffle the mind that politicians don't necessarily want to act on these things but it it, it, it it's it's shocking and it's ups, it's upsetting in a way that these things don't happen but it's it's good that you have this kind of mo- these models and are working I think it's nice to have the kind of models where you're looking forward and looking actively for solutions. You're not just going and saying, listen, uh, this is a problem, solve it. You're going and you're offering them the solutions. And Yeah. Do you know what's frustrating for me, though, Jack, is when my first chairman, you know, who ran, who used to just, oh, gosh, he was so tough on me when I was a young woman, but he used to say to me, you've got to have models. You've got to have something to show how to do it properly. And I thought when I was younger that somehow or other you could just achieve that and then show it and everyone would go, yeah, that's a great idea, you know. One of the things I'd like to say to your listeners is, you know, I do actually think that things take a lot longer than they should mm-hmm. and um, and I'm imploring all of you, you know, if you're in your 20s and 30s, really listen to your elders because we just keep making the same mistakes somehow or other we're not looking to what happened in the past and i won't mention the ukraine war um you know we've just got to stop doing this to each other and we've got to understand that history repeats itself unless we're bold and i my mum and dad were you know, very intelligent people and at our dinner tables there were a lot of history discussed and, 
yeah, I've always tried to sort of find solutions, but it has saddened me that 25 years later there's not a 1,000 koala beach developments, which they could be, because the developers are now wanting more houses on lesser amounts of land. So you see these big McMansions, and that's why we're flooding so badly, because when water hits an open paddock, about 90% of it's absorbed into the land. But once you concrete it, only 10% goes in. So that's why the floods are worse. And, and people just don't get it. It's because we have changed the nature of the land and the landscape so dramatically that the water can't go anywhere. And that, river, that flood system we've just had came from a, a huge um, rain cell that just sat over Australia for days. It just was over my house for two days. It didn't move. And I don't know whether that's part of the climate change, but we're all saying, like, can you move offshore here? You know, but it just didn't. And it sounded like a helicopter on the roof as it was just coming down. It just felt like, oh, my God, it's just, it was torrential. It was amazing. S- scary but amazing at the same time, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it loops it all the way back to the beginning of our conversation where we talked about kind of the power of Mother Nature and seeing it in this kind of way that is, it's, it's terrifying and it's scary and it's all of these things, but it does. It has, um, it shows the the she, yes she is annoyed but we can kind of bring it back and hopefully kind of yeah reconcile this relationship with with yeah nature. well it's like there was one man who said to me um he was so funny he was a koala keeper but he just said you've got to treat mother nature like your mother if she's crossed just stop annoying her you know and um and it's <laughs> it's true isn't it like okay mum we'll give up um no I I re- I really believe if we all if we all as a nation, you know, a globe, all countries said there are some fundamentals that we can no longer do, we should be letting every single river system in the world run free. We've got to stop logging. We have got to stop, you know, developing on floodplains. And we have to learn how to manage our cities in a much more sustainable way. And I believe there is every single bit of technology to make that happen. Um and also we have to reduce human population and that means educating women. It has saddened me that um, there was a book called The Population Bomb by Professor Paul Ehrlich in the 60s that all of us read. And, you know, it was just have two children. Just And, you know, I had the privilege of meeting him and everyone should go and read that book right now because we have got to stop having too many humans so that we can get on top of the human population, food scarcity and and protecting the environment. So there's a lot to be done and it's got to be done fast. Yes, it's uh, yeah one of those things. If we need to start being more aware of ourselves and looking after ourselves and in looking after and protecting things that matter to, to maybe people who aren't as inclined to protect nature, we will also in turn then provide more space for nature and provide more space for yeah. things to expand and be the way that they are meant to be and hopefully yes i love the i really love the piece of piece of advice as someone who during the pandemic uh moved back in with parents had to (laughs) to put up uh, i i really appreciate that if you leave mother if if mother nature is annoyed like your actual mother you just stop annoying her (laughs) and stop annoying her now and fast Uh, (laughs) yeah actually one of my sons wrote a piece of paper that i found and it said mum is very annoying (laughs) 
Oh, that's asking for trouble. That is. That's... <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, I really believe that. And I, I believe that, um, you know, nature regenerates so fast. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I saw, I saw a TV show the other day, I think with Joanna Lumley, where she showed how some Scottish laird was you know, regenerating a forest that hadn't been there for two or three years and I forgot, uh, two, th- two or three hundred years and I just thought, you know, go go him, you know, is that's, that's all we've just got to do. Just mm-hmm. put it back like it was. Yep, yep. And that's, uh, yeah, any rewilding project, any kind of getting it back to the way it should be and would be, and I think that's the thing as well is that I think, I don't know whether it's the same for, for you in Australia, but there's, often a tendency here in the UK I find for people to look at places um, like um, I don't know tiger habitats or elephant habitats or animals that are considered to be far away and exotic and look and point the finger at the countries in which these animals are found and say fix it you need to fix that and without actually looking back and saying in Scotland we used to have this that and the next thing but they're all gone so really we have to internalize and kind of reflect on ourselves like what's around us i don't yeah. know if it is is it a similar thing for for you in australia or is it oh yeah and you, I, yeah oh abs- oh look jack absolutely and i think also the more urban you become mm-hmm. see my kids were raised here but you know when they come home after living in a city there's almost like oh god there's you know there's a snake out there or something or you're going to get bitten by something um, it does take resilience to live in nature mosquitoes you know, just to, for a few. See, I don't have air conditioning here and, um, you know, trees are sort of, I mean, it still gets hot, but we have fans and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So it, it, learning to live a sustainable lifestyle means change. You And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm obsessed about recycling. I'm obsessed about waste. Um, I was just driving through some of the areas that were flooded in my district and everyone's put all their rubbish out on the street the river systems took massive hits. You know, there's there's now junk in the oceans from the spits that flow down. So I do think we all need less stuff, um, and I could certainly do that in my own home. But mm-hmm. and I think your generation are a bit more minimalist too. I'll have to say so. That's mm-hmm. really good. But yeah, I think that join your local club. Join some. Go and put your hands in the dirt. Really think. I planted that tree, that I did that and, and watch it grow. Plant a community garden, grow veggies when you can, you know, and I accept that it's cold where you are. But, um, yeah, put your hands and get it, get dirty if, if you can because that will bring you back to that feeling of I have to protect this because it's easy to just watch all these exotic shows on telly and you think someone else is going to do it. But imagine if 7 billion of us, all did something in one day, all for Mother Nature. Imagine what could happen. Exactly. It's it's fantastic. And I think that's actually a, a, a really inspirational, a nice message, I think, to start wrapping up our conversation on. Because I feel like yeah, I, I could agree. sit here and talk to you all morning or evening where you are. But I think it's it's time we it, we kind of start. And that's the perfect message to kind of wrap up on. Yeah, and I agree. I guess yeah. um, before we go, though, did... If someone is feeling exceptionally inspired and wants to learn more about you or support um, the Australian Koala Foundation, learn more about your work, um, where should I know personally? I I went onto the website this morning just to do some last minute reading, just to make sure I, I had all my facts and things right. And 
there's some se- excellent sections on there. So I would personally recommend your website for in terms of history and facts about the koala and all sorts of stuff. Really brilliant. But are there any other resources or anything that you'd point people towards if they if they want to learn more or support your work? Well, I think, you know, I, I want our, in, our website to be entertaining um, in every regard. And if you just want to fall in love with koalas, go to the adoption page. If you want to think about, you know, linking habitats, go to the KISS page. But if you wanted to link habitats in Scotland, you know, get your own map out and go, you know what, I could plant trees from here to here or I could start a project. It's, you know copying others I've only copied others these ideas aren't new Um, Mm -hmm. the Koala Protection Act is based on the Bald Eagle Act because the Bald Eagle was um, under threat in 1940 then the war came and everyone said goodness we can't lose that eagle we need the epaulets of the generals to have those eagles on there so as soon as there's enough of a threat we all kick in and go right we're going to save it and the eagle now is so safe in america so think about some of the animals you've got in scotland and and think i could help that so yeah we'd love to hear from you my team are amazing you know and we've got a scottish girl kaylee uh she loves to hear from the scots so if you've you know contact us but just enjoy our website, think about the beauty of the world and um, and think about your impact on the planet. That would make me happy. <laughs> perfect. That's, yeah, I think perfect, perfect advice. And as I say, I'll link all of the relevant social media, websites, resources we've talked about throughout, pages on the website I found personally interesting in the description of this episode. So everyone can go and have a look check them out if you've been as we recommended at the start if you've been looking uh, while you've been listening I hope you have enjoyed what you found uh, and have found out even more interesting things about the koalas and all of the work that 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 Deborah and I sure the rest of your 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 team uh, do it's it's been fantastic and I guess before we, I, I'm going to wrap up in a second, but before I do, I just want to say a massive thank you, Deborah, so much for your time, for your insights. I think it's been really, I wrote a bunch of questions down, but I've just enjoyed chatting to you and kind of, I don't think I've asked really many of the ones I'd written down. It's just been so nice to have a, a back and forth and kind of good, natural, great conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time and everything you've you've explained and told the listeners and me about. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. Thank you. Um, well, yes, that that brings us to the the end of the show. Uh, and as always, I, I'd just like to remind everyone that you can uh, find us on social media at Pangolin Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're all over the place, so you can keep up to date with um, news about this this or the Australian Koala Foundation, all the other organisations we've chatted to already this season. We've had uh, episodes about tapirs and anteaters and all sorts of other um, bizarre but fantastic creatures. So make sure and follow us on social media so you hear about those. Also subscribe to us on your podcast streaming service of choice. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're all over the place and we'd love it if you could yeah, subscribe to us on there and leave us a review. And yeah, that kind of uh, brings us right to the end. So once again, I've got to say a massive thank you to everyone for listening. I've got to say a massive thank you one more time to you, Deborah. And until next time, everyone, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.